from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm Michelle. And this is Mark. <laughs> wow. That was the best Mark introduction was, we have had in 100 episodes. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> I put on my radio voice. Exactly. Hey, listeners. <laughs> that was Kim Carnes with Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> oh. Do our listeners know that you have a radio background? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Although the radio, wasn't the radio background like sales only? No, no, I didn't. Oh, you I, did, did, I, I was on a couple of radio stations, AM and FM, early on. Oh, right. On. Remember, I told you the one story about the about cops. the night and show. The, yeah. Yeah, oh, and that's right. The underage girl and the <laughs> yes. booze and the guns <laughs> and stuff. And we've got a reverend on the show. Maybe you can give a confession. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't have time for that. It's that just was, a 45-minute show. That was one of your best stories. It, I was, it, was, it was a good one. That was a great story. My kids good. haven't heard that one yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll wait till they have kids of their own. So they won't exactly. Think, so they won't emulate exactly. the disaster. Small, awkward moment. <laughs> exactly. so, so what's in the news, uh, the Tiny House Movement, Michelle? Since you are the connection that we have. Oh, thank you. Um, so the tiny, so the House Bill, Oregon State House Bill twenty seven thirty seven, has passed the Senate and is currently on the governor's desk for signature. Um, so on one hand, yes, we'd love to to uh, party. <clears throat> it didn't end up, however, being quite what the tiny house movement wanted. Um, the Senate, um, the Senate version of the bill act, it got chopped up a little bit. So long story short. Conversations continue to happen. Progress continues to be made. This is one of those sort of two steps forward, one step back. Um, however, also way almost more exciting, however, was literally yesterday, um, the state of Idaho actually fully adopted Appendix V. That's the one I saw on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was making the rounds yesterday. So very excited about that. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, how's your build going? Um, <clears throat> I've had a little bit of a slowdown on my second build on Perch, um, just because of the fact that I had to sort of change direction a little bit to start on the third house. Um, it's going fine. My landlord actually, it was funny because I, he hasn't really been doing, making the improvements to the site where it's going to be put. And yesterday's out there with a the tractor and the blade and he's got, <laughs> he's out there flattening and asking me, you know, when, okay, the gravel's going to come and. He's got to put up the temp pole. And so, yeah, it's nice to see him. He's like making lots of noise out there. You're making lots of noise out there. I guess I better get started on my stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess you better. You got a little time here, but I'm still two <clears throat> steps ahead of him. So very cool. We got the, um, all the, the built-in shelving is all in now. Um, I'm ready for insulation and drywall. Super excited. Where are you building it? Are you building it on site where it will be? Or are you building up north? Uh, the perch is actually on site where it will be, which is also adjacent to where I live. <clears throat> and then the third build is actually up north. Cool. And I have some new sponsors as well. So that's, that build is going to start again. You know, you do all this prep work and it sounds like it feels like nothing's going on. Mm-hmm. And you just do all the prep work and collect the materials right. and contact the sponsors and figure out your build site and check the list of tools. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's going to go really fast, but. Since the sponsors are making it happen, and Mark, you can just shake your head if you don't agree with what Uh-oh. I'm about to offer. Uh-oh. Would it be a good idea for you, for your, for you, for your sponsors, if you were to mention them here? 
All 28 of them? Not all 20. Okay. Not all 28. Actually, maybe, I think I'm at 40. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll forget it then. <laughs> maybe roll out, roll out the top two today. Let, yeah, let's and, do this. Yeah. Just give your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then today I'd like to shout out (laughs) to uh, Mr. Plywood. Mr. Plywood is a local um, lumber supplier, local local hardware store here in Portland. Um, They were my uh, framing and siding sponsor for The Perch and very generous and very, very supportive. And it really changes the way that you view their their business model changes the way that you lumber shopping. right? Right. You go into Home Depot. You ask a question, no one really knows. Um, the the lumber is, you know, is not that great all the time. Um, anyways, Mr. <laughs> shout out to Mr. Plywood. Um, and they're local, right? Yes. Not, yeah. not, yeah, not, not in Detroit. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. I got it. I, I was going to It was a slow hand. It was it was a good <laughs> slow, yeah, slow right. hand off. <laughs> keeping with that, we're going to talk real slow about transition no so um so michelle's got this fabulous bill going on and there's another fabulous bill going on on a much grander scale in a community that really needs it which is the community of detroit um our guest today reverend faith fowler is um i hesitated because i i just thought in my head is spearheaded offensive for a reverend no it's not (laughs) (laughs) who is spearheading this um this initiative reverend faith fowler faith I have faith written. Is it faith Oops. or fay? Faith. 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 Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Which is, which is, it's, it's kind of like Dr. Tooth. It's a perfect, for a dentist, it's the perfect name for a reverend. Reverend, welcome to, can I shall call you faith or should I just say reverend? Uh, yeah, faith is fine. Okay. Thank you. That makes it so much easier for me. Um, <laughs> Assuming he can remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So welcome to the show, uh, Faith. Thanks. Yeah. And you are part of, um, it's called CAS Community Service, Social Services. Right. And you guys are uh, an, out, an outcrop, if I may use that word, of the Method- United Methodist Church there. Is that correct? Yeah, we started as part of CAS Methodist Church uh, in what was called the CAS Corridor of Detroit. In 2002, we started a separate nonprofit called CAS Community Social Services. So it's, it's linked uh, but it's um, separate as well. Hmm. And so you're, so I guess we should get right to the point, although probably everyone who's listening to this show already knows about your project because your project has gone viral. Um, yeah, the be- last couple of weeks, I tons of people have tagged me. And, yeah. Have you seen this? This is so cool. They're really loving it. <laughs> but for, for in the purpose, of, or, or even though it's going to be redundant, let's talk about the project that you're doing. So you have this fantastic community development that is 100% tiny house based uh, and you're offering tiny house living to, uh, I think it's low income people. Yeah, it's a combination of formerly homeless and uh, senior citizens who are low income and, and then students who've aged out of foster care. We wanted a diversity within the community and uh, that made sense for our area. So, oh, fantastic. So I'm I, sorry about the pregnant pause there, but I was just thinking, uh, I don't want to embarrass you, Michelle, no, but okay. di- didn't you come out of foster care? Or was it something yes. else? That's what I thought. Okay. Yes. Okay. So awesome. Cool. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> sorry. So, okay. okay. So, we are ill prepared as usual. We're not, it's it's just, know. well, we're so spontaneous. Sometimes the spontaneity gets a little off, <laughs> off the rails. So that's fantastic. And, and the, the people who, um, 
have the fantastic opportunity to live in these tiny homes. They pay rent for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, they end up owning the home. Is that correct? Correct. So they uh, were building houses between 250 and 400 square feet. So their rent is based on square footage. They pay a dollar per square foot. So 250 to $400 a month. Their only other bill is electric slash heat which in Michigan in the coldest months should be less than $35 a month. So uh, it's very inexpensive or affordable for people mm -hmm. and gives them the chance to own an asset or to establish wealth, um, which is pretty important. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about income inequality, but asset inequality is probably even more important because if you have an income, but you run into a crisis, your car breaks down or your hours are cut or somebody gets sick, then you go back to being homeless or back to being uh, very vulnerable. With, with an asset, you, of course, can use it as collateral or sell it and do, do something with it. Uh, it gives you a whole new um, vantage point, if you will. Mm. The, the, um, the, uh, the asset nature of this pro program, do they get to own the land too or just the house? Yeah, yeah. So for, for seven years, there are a couple of program requirements as well. They... Uh, receive a financial coach to help them uh, deal with debt, establish a budget, set up accounts, uh, help them explore if there are ways for them to make more money, which is uh, rare, most affordable housing in the United States. If you make more money, you pay more rent, or if you make too much more money, they ask you to uh, to leave. Uh, we We think if you make more money, good for you. And we'll try and help you think of ways you can use it to make the money, make money for you. In addition to that, they go to a homeownership class that helps them not only deal with living in a smaller space uh, in some cases, but also you know, how do you maintain a, a facility if you're used to being a renter? How do you deal with uh, cleaning the gutters or changing the furnace filters or um, preparing for the season changes? I need and then last, last, <laughs> I'm sorry, was that? She I, said she needed that class. I think I need that yeah. class. <laughs> I, I definitely needed it when I bought a house, and uh, I think everybody does. But if you come from a long line of renters, you certainly didn't get it from your family. Yeah. So um, including those kinds of lessons. And then lastly, they're expected to volunteer eight hours a month to a newly established CB patrol, a community patrol, so that they start spending time with other people in the community and they're, they're seen as an asset in the larger community uh, has this excited. Hmm. So if they do those things for seven years, mostly compliant, um, we will ask them to join the homeowners association. They, by the way, are the ones who help establish the rules for the homeowners association. And if they say yes, then we give them the house and the land. Hmm. That's really amazing. Um, so well, let's be very, uh, just to clarify, are all these houses are on foundations, right? Every single one of them? Yeah, absolutely, Michelle. They're all on slab on grade. Uh, in Detroit, this neighborhood, uh, I should probably describe for you, has 300 vacant lots and 500 dilapidated buildings. So there's a lot of nothing. And um, when it was full of houses, they were built in the 1915, 16, 17s. The last structure to be built in this neighborhood before the tiny houses was 1974 and it was a garage wow. <laughs> since then everything has come down so we bought 25 vacant lots from well one had a house but everything else was vacant from the city for fifteen thousand dollars and each house will go on its own lot which is why we didn't have to struggle with zoning or variances because 
it's a residential neighborhood. It just didn't have any houses. Mm -hmm. And each house is on roughly a 30 by 100 uh, foot lot. So they'll have nice big backyards. Um, And every single house is different. So that, I think, distinguishes it from uh, most affordable housing as well, that uh, we've tried to make them attractive and uh, distinguishable so that people have great pride in where they live. So there, there are housing styles in the, in the video. Some of there's like a, a stucco Tudor mm-hmm. and there's a modern one with a flat roof and an overhang in the front. And then there's one more traditional with gables and all that crap. Are, are, are those the actual, are those the actual houses or are those just models? No, 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 no. Uh, so all the houses are different. Seven are up so far. We're starting three more next month and three more in August. Uh, and we have a Tudor, and we have a Victorian, and wow. we have uh, a flat-roofed one. We have a, a Cape Cod. You know, so intentionally, they're very, very different. Hmm. Um, uh, because Detroit, in, in its history, has been a city of single-family homes, and um, and they and they were different. It wasn't like a subdivision in many suburbs today, where you can go down and there's three models repeated over and over. Right. Can you tell us about the economic realities? Um, tell us a little bit about Detroit um, as a city, um, as a neighborhood or their neighborhoods and talk about the economic realities that sort of gave you the opportunity to buy that much land for that cheap. Yeah, and that's something. That's amazing. So, yeah, th- that's the good news. The bad news is in our zip code, the poverty rate is 44%. So we have some really tremendous things happening downtown, midtown, Corktown. You've probably read about the companies moving in and the young professionals moving in and the retirees. And that's all true and, and to be celebrated. But conversely, the neighborhoods haven't had that sort of investment or attention. And so you have large pockets of uh, abandoned land, blighted buildings, and poor people. Uh, so to, to add 25 houses to the taxpayer rolls is good for the city. It's mm. good for the neighborhood. We've had people standing in our bushes, peering in the windows because they're so excited to see inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people driving down the street with their smartphones out the windows, video recording everything. Mm-hmm. It just it is meant for a very, oh, I don't know, celebrative uh, moment in, in this neighborhood in particular. There was a time when those, I'm sorry, did you have another question? Oh, there was a time when, when um, I heard that there were like, dogs running rampant in some of these neighborhoods and where the, where the crime rate was so high, it wasn't, it wasn't safe to go outside in the daytime, let alone Mm. at night. Is, is that this kind of a neighborhood? Um, I would say most stories from the national press were a little bit exaggerated. Yes. Yes. We do have dogs and yes, uh, there are some gangs and, uh, there is crime. It's a big city, but it, it, um, I've lived in Detroit now for 30 years. I've never had any real problems, and I'm not in the more uh, affluent areas. I'm just in a, a regular place, mm. or have been. My, my place now is in an area that's being gentrified, but it certainly wasn't for a very long period of time. Um, we, we even had, you know, we're, we're securing the houses around the clock until the people move in because there are expensive things in there. Uh, we had deer show up one night. Oh, wow. <laughs> we had pheasants. We had a fox. So uh, not so many, you know, pit bulls running wild in our neighborhood. But but there is wildlife, probably due to the urban sprawl, quite frankly. A different kind of wildlife. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I met a new neighbor yesterday. He's black and white. 
And he has a big, long, fluffy tail. Does he have a stripe down his back? Yes, he oh, does. Oh, my goodness. It don't matter if Pepe he's black or white. Yeah. <laughs> he's ebony and ivory. That's right. <laughs> How close is uh, the city following what you're doing? Because it looks like, you know, all things are headed in the right direction. Obviously, it's still a little early, but it's it's a fascinating mm-hmm. program that, that doesn't kind of follow some of the other like programs that you've mentioned. Right. So we're, as far as I know, we're the only ones in the country to do uh, affordable housing, uh, a home ownership for people who make as little as $10,000 a year. As, as, and that, that's why I think there's been so much attention about it, not only because they're tiny homes and they're energy efficient and all that good stuff, but because of the home ownership component. The city hasn't blocked anything, um, which <laughs> isn't always true, but they haven't done this one. Uh, they're, they're really not been sure what to, to make of us because it's so different. Um, uh, Faith, what do you mean by the city hasn't blocked anything? What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes they can hold, hold, uh, processes up. Uh, uh I, I'd really rather not go into it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but we haven't run into any, there's no minimal requirement in Detroit. You could build a tiny house that was, you know, uh, 90 square feet mm-hmm. and be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, so we're the land of opportunity. Land is cheap and, and there's no you know, uh, laws or permitting things that have held us up thus far. Hmm. So you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit about um, the land price and uh, talk a little bit about... <clears throat> adjust my mic. <laughs> Mark uh, is reaching sorry. over, adjusting my mic as I'm speaking. That's not distracting at all. I know. Um, so who builds these houses and where do you get the materials and bottom line, where do you get the money to actually build them, build the houses themselves? Right. So we run a number of homeless programs, uh, emergency shelter, warming shelter, rotating shelter, transitional housing, permanent housing, and have since 2002 anyway on the uh, residential places. I didn't want to use government money on these houses because I was fearful that halfway through a grant, they'd decide to slash it or eliminate it. And then I would have made a promise to somebody that I couldn't keep. Mm. So we decided right from the get-go that we would raise it uh, privately. Uh, Some family foundations, the Ford Motor Fund, the Community Foundation, McGregor Fund, churches have stepped up in a major way, the Junior League of Detroit, Flagstar Bank. I mean, there's a number of organizations that have really uh, made the significant contributions to making these happen. We were constructing them using a combination of professional trades to pour the foundations and build the shell and put on the, the roof and uh, electrical and plumbing. Anything that uh, either requires a permit or is part of the shell. And then we use volunteers to do everything else. Mm-hmm. The drywall, the flooring, the cabinet building, the furniture assembly, the landscaping, the deck and porch uh, building, the fence erecting, uh, because it, uh, it takes a little longer. It really does, but it saves us a ton of money, which will allow us to build more homes. Um, but, but so, these, so that's it. But these, vol- vo- these volunteers, they know what they're doing, I presume. Yeah, we have a volunteer coordinator with okay. history with rebuilding together. So he supervises them to make sure that if you say you can drywall, you really know how to do it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you uh, haven't laid a floor before, that he'll give you instructions and watch you do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good, it's a quality, um, it's a quality house. Mm. 
The other thing is we've been able to talk to homeowners and business owners into giving us either materials they're taking out or uh, leftover from a job. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten stones and shignals and pavers. And the first time I went to speak at a suburban house at the end, an older woman said, we're redoing our kitchen. Can you use our old granite countertops? Wow. Nice. And, and I asked, I got my, yeah. <laughs> One of those yeah, five years I, old. <laughs> so, so the homeowner got a tax write off and we got to put in really nice granite mm-hmm. countertops and, uh, you know, everybody wins. It keeps it out of the dumpster, I suppose. Yeah. Um, as well. So Michelle had that good question about the, where the fundings come from. My question is, how do you, how do you, um, oh, I still want to say it this way. So I'm going to say it. How do you keep back the, the roving hordes that want to live in these places? I imagine you have way more people yeah. wanting to live in them than you have houses to put them in. Absolutely. Duck, so duck, we duck, o- goose. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) (laughs) We uh, accepted applications in the month of October and received 122 completed. Since then, we've had 800 inquiries that we've had to turn down. Wow. Uh, uh, As as we've been building, everybody's been watching. And now more and more, plus the uh, social media attention in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, more and more people are aware of it and are wanting to get in. you know, so we're really happy that people want, interestingly enough, at an early board meeting before the business plan was done, one of my board members said, you think anybody will really live in these? They're about the size of my garage. <laughs> <laughs> I remind him now that, you know, yeah, at least a thousand people want to live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. do you, I presume because these are tiny houses and my familiarity with them is that it would be, although people do have their families living in them, do you accept families to live in your, in these tiny houses or is it only individuals? For the first 25, they're really built for individuals or couples. And I like to say you better love the other person very much. <laughs> 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 if we're lucky enough to have round two, we'll build for families. Uh, and by that, I mean, you have to have bedrooms for kids that are separate from parents. Mm-hmm. So it, we'd probably go four to five fifty, which isn't the smallest tiny home, but I want kids to have separate bedrooms. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we'll get there. We just won't get there this year. Mm-hmm. Is, is the seven year um, time frame is that related to Jubilee at all? Yeah, well, I am a minister, you know. <laughs> Good answer. Good poll. <laughs> Good poll. Yeah, nice. We wanted long enough to make sure they'd have a financial track record and feel secure in themselves that once we, uh, had them take over the bills, they wouldn't lose their house to back taxes or mm-hmm. delinquent water. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no mortgage, so there'd be no foreclosure that way. But uh, those are the primary ways people lose their homes in Detroit, and we wanted to make sure they had enough um, uh, payment on time, the right amount, is so that uh, they could keep the houses as long as they want. And yet we didn't want to stretch it out to a 15- or 30-year mortgage-type cycle because if you've been homeless, that's probably more than you can uh, think possible. Uh, yeah. So we tend to be, as you can tell, a pretty fun-loving show. But in, in startup realities, you're going to have some challenges in seven years. Um, how, how would you kind of have baked in or built in here to deal with stuff as people may start having some challenges in your three or four or five? Right. So if they're financial challenges, they have a coach who's going to work with them all the way along to... Um, you know, did you lose your job? Well, let me help you uh, explore what else is out there. Or did you 
increase in income, let's try and figure out a second source of income so that you stay afloat. Um, if they're, you know, getting along, how you negotiate in the neighborhood, uh, that would come more under the home ownership classes and that person who interfaces with them. Um, and then we'll have the monthly uh, group meeting uh, where we try and resolve issues. Um, we, we run other housing programs, so we have some experience doing that. Um, so we're fairly confident we'll be able to address their needs. How long have you been a minister, Faith? Uh, 32 years. And did you say you lived in Detroit all your life? Um, I lived in Detroit until I was 12, and then I lived in a suburb until I went away to college. Uh, and then I've been back as a minister uh, since 1996. Hmm. And, and what is it about? Um, 86, I'm sorry. 86, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Terry was doing math. I was out there in my head (laughs) trying to figure it out myself. (laughs) And and so what is it about this, this project that like strums your strings, rings your bells, hits your drums? I don't know how to say it. Well, I think it's the first thing. uh, So CAS does four things uh, ordinarily, food, housing, healthcare, and jobs. And we started the jobs during the recession when our people just couldn't get work at all. And I was, really excited about that and still am, but we learned through the process of people having the jobs and becoming more financially secure that, that again, if one setback, one bump in the road uh, means that they could lose everything and revert back to homelessness. And so I started looking, thinking about, you know, what could help them obtain an asset. And then there's the second part sort of in tandem uh, happened. My mom died and in the process I inherited some things and my uh, brother and nephew inherited uh, a house and uh, it dawned on me for the first time that I always in my life had that safety net, that security mm. of being able, if I was in trouble, being able to go to my parents and saying help. Mm. And they, they may have given me a really long lecture about, you know, how irresponsible it was to not save for a rainy day and all that good stuff. But I always knew they'd bail me out. If you're poor, you don't have that. You don't, have anybody leaving you anything when they die and you don't have the um, security of knowing you can turn to your family. It's not that their families don't love them. They do. They don't have the ability most of the time to bail them out. And so I saw this as a generational game changer of, of uh, allowing them to, to climb the ladder and provide not only for themselves, but potentially for their children and grandchildren in a way that, that many of us in the United States um, just expect. Hmm. Do you do you see the the people that your this project is designed for? Do they span um, racial diversity, or is it a predominant? It's it's more black than white, but um, yes, there is racial diversity. Obviously, there's both genders. There's ages from you know twenty four to eighty. So there's a really a nice and rich uh, combination of people who should be able to help each other in ways probably I, I or we can't even. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're excited about that part of it too, and yet recognizing that we wanted them to be integrated into the larger neighborhood. We didn't want people to say that's where the homeless live, or that's where the poor people live, yeah. or we wanted them to be a part of the larger community and to be seen as a part of the revitalization of this larger community, a neighborhood 
that hasn't been um, experienced the kind of resurrection that, say, the downtown area has. Mm-hmm. Morgan, we, we have interviewed people before who are doing similar things to what you're doing. There's an organization in Olympia, Washington, for example, that has a village um, yep. that you might be familiar with. Um, when, when we talk with those people, one of the questions we ask, and I'm going to ask you too, is what do you say to people who say that <clears throat> the homeless problem isn't always solvable by giving people a home because the homeless problem is more often not a problem of not having a home than it is some other kind of problem. So yeah, I, I, I've been to Coyote and it's a beautiful program. It's, it's different, but it's a great program and I applaud them. Um, we, we're not suggesting that we are ending homelessness. We are not, we are not uh, recommending this as the only answer to homelessness. We are saying that there are some people who are ready to move on with their lives, to move out of the shelters or the transitional housing programs, who don't have any way to become a homeowner, who are locked into renting their entire life and consequently will be vulnerable their entire life when they don't have to be when they really can uh, rejoin society in a way where they're contributors um, and stakeholders and community members. And so that's what we're trying to do. We recognize it's not for everybody. I I tell a story at the beginning of the book. We've written a book about this to to help other people figure out what they want to do. But anyway, I tell the story at the beginning of the book of my grandfather who had uh, throat cancer and, um, they were able to operate it on it and give him, you know, many years of more life. My father had pancreatic cancer and they weren't able to do anything and it, and it took his life. So it's like people saying, well, if you can't cure all cancers, we shouldn't cure any. Mm. Well, no, if you have the cure to one kind, you should, you should do it. If it's going to help people and save people, the same thing is not everybody's homeless for the same reason. Not everybody who's come through this shelter system has the same um, situation. There are some who can be helped by this program. I think a large number who can be helped by this program and others who are poor who can be helped by this program. And consequently, we're ready to try it. Mm. You, you, the program is the rents that people pay are based on their income. You had said that before, I think. No, oh, no. Based on the square Sorry, foot square footage. House. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So where, where are these people and I'm coming totally from ignorance here. Where are these people going to get jobs? Okay, so there's a couple of things. Just because you're homeless doesn't mean you don't have an income. Uh, some people who are homeless have SSI, Social Security entitlement payments, to the tune of about $750 a month. Some people have part-time jobs. Some people have minimum wage jobs. So, so some folks who are, some people leave our homeless shelter and go to work every day and come back at night. Or they go from our transitional program and go to work and come back at night. Mm. They just don't have enough money Mm. to qualify for a mortgage. Mm. Even if they save up the down payment, even if they have the closing costs, nobody's going to give them, for instance, a a Habitat house in Detroit, you know, could be a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage. Who's going to give you a mortgage for that amount of money if you make ten thousand dollars a year? Yeah. So we had to come up with a way to eliminate the mortgage, and this is what we're trying. Wow. 
I read an article on the internet that really changed my perspective about being poor. And I have been poor, not now, mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But I have been there, and it's, it's <clears throat> difficult and interesting to explain to other people. <clears throat> you mentioned, for instance, um, if your car breaks down or something, and that becomes this sort of spiral that kind of sends you. And it was, again, it was, it was that story about someone had a car, and their car mm-hmm. broke down. And they went back a couple of days later, you know, to go get it. They didn't have insurance. They didn't have a, I just call it towing company now, you know, mm. but they didn't have that. And they went back a couple of days later and the car had actually been towed. Mm. So then they went to get their car out of the tow yard and it was actually like a 700 or $800 mm-hmm. bill just to mm-hmm. get the broken car out of the tow. And so then they didn't have a car. And then they said, well, now I have to take the bus to work, but they... You know, that was an inordinate amount of time to and from work. So they were late constantly or they mm-hmm. would miss a bus. Mm. And then they lost their job because they didn't have that, again, that sort of um, that supportive system around mm-hmm. getting to and from that location at that time. Anyways, the story was really just about how one, when you are poor, right. one fairly small thing that other people would think, oh, I've got a credit card or I just called AAA the towing company, or, yeah. AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, turned yep. actually turns into this life altering experience that just spirals downward. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a that was a very very interesting article for me. I mean, again, be able to put it in words to other people in in right. real life terms what being poor means. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also one of those people that can't call my parents and and say, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, my car broke down, or I can't reach out to them for support, or so. Um, I've actually, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've been there. And so I appreciate the notion that um, just because you're poor um, or just because you're actually homeless, um, which I have been, um, doesn't mean you don't have a job. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean you'll never have a home, obviously, um, but it just doesn't mean you don't have one right now. Yeah. You just need that break. And what I see this program is, is that break, that, mm-hmm. that set of people that mm-hmm. step up and say, okay, you know, we're going to give you that break. We're going to give you that support that you've never had right now and giving people the opportunity to step up. Well said. Yeah. So I'm, I'm almost emotional hearing you talk about the program. Thank you, Michelle. Can you, can you, without giving away any privacy matter, you, if you can't do this, that's okay. But I'm just curious without giving away any privacy identifying, um, characteristics can you give an example of a type of person who would be living in these homes um yeah well the so one person had a a job uh, mid uh 50s uh it it was low paying and then uh, discovered he had epilepsy Mm. and so now in his mid 50s he can't work he uh, can draw Social Security, but that that's it. And um, so in the middle of his life, he's homeless, even though, you know, he's done everything right. He's gone to school. He's tried to save. Um, and for him, the, this tiny home and the chance of owning something uh, means he doesn't have to be scared anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've had it and lost it and you don't know how you're going to your, make your way out of it and you're sick, you know, just trying to manage uh, medications and, and you're not feeling well enough to, to work anywhere, even to cook sometimes. Or care. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so so it really is just a miracle to him. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know any other way to describe it. It's it's a lifesaver thrown off a ship when he felt like he was drowning. Where was he? Um, where, where where is he while the house is being put together? Where where is he now? We've got it. We've got him set up with a living with a family temporarily. I see. Yeah. Uh, but he's ready to move in. He keeps calling me. <laughs> <laughs> Tired of sleeping on someone else's couch. Mm-hmm. So you talked yeah. a little bit about the the success of the program and the and the social media exposure. Um, for people that live in tiny houses, it's pretty common for people to drive by and take pictures and peek in the windows mm-hmm. and knock on the front doors. Um, to what extent has that sort of um, either changed your either changed your conviction? or changed your plan for the future? Like, is the next phase of this project going to be a little bit more on the DL? Are you, are you finding the, almost the popularity to be a double-edged sword that it's sort of distracting? Um, so far, it hasn't been a double-edged We didn't expect either time it went viral, we didn't ex- expect it. The first time David Wolf did, um, took a video of ours and put it together with somebody else's and it went out. Uh, so that it ended up with 13 million views, which meant that we were contacted from everywhere and had about 6,000 comments to respond to. And, and really, the book is in reaction to that, trying to answer their questions, because many of them were good questions. Then more recently, uh, now this did a video, and it's in 10 days has like 27 million views. So the good news is people are asking for advice and for us to come speak about the project various places so that we can... You know, be evangelists of it, if you will. Um, the other thing is it meant that we added a component into our screening process during which we explained very explicitly to potential residents, you're going to be living in a fishbowl, that people are going to drive by and take videos, they're going to walk by and take pictures, they may step on your lawn, they may ask to come into your house, you have the right to say no. You don't have the right to cuss them out, but you have the right to say no. Um, because I'm fearful... And I've seen this happen in some other places. I'm fearful that the media will overwhelm them mm. um, with requests for interviews and, and wanting to tell uh, a story about um, triumph over whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted them to be clear that they don't have to do it. And if they do do it once, they don't have to do it again. They can do it if they want to, obviously. But I don't think they have any idea what it would mean to do a hundred interviews in a month yeah. and it could be. That. Yeah. So, so we've tried to so. warn them. We'll walk with them through the process. Um, and we'll see. Um, Give them a media release and they can tell the media it's 500 bucks. <laughs> 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 kind of like the house for sale box that you see out front. Where there you, you have go. The little one there you go. It's yeah. just a press release. In exactly. There. A press release in and every front yard. a drop box for the money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, ch- no checks, no please. Plans. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you really want to contribute to my That's quality of life. Exactly. <laughs> Faith, did you, did you think that when you were putting this together that it was going to be as... Um, widely praised or looked at or reported as it is now? Um, no, not really. I, I knew that it confirmed that the problem we were trying to solve is a universal one and not one specific to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say, we've, 
we've been to speak in Pennsylvania. We uh, talked to uh, people at the affordable housing in Michigan. We're going out to Colorado. I mean, so we're going all over the United States trying to help people think what is transferable to where they are and what makes sense. Obviously, we're not the only model. We're the only home ownership model, but there are other models that they might consider and uh, adapt. So, um, you know, I just like that it solves multiple problems at one time. I, poverty is complex and solutions, I think, should be complex as well. So you're repopulating a neighborhood. You're, you're making taxpayers for the city. You're doing much less harm to the environment. Um, you're uh, building them into the existing community that needs support. I mean, all these things are really good. And when you can align the stars that way, um, it's a good day. Mm -hmm. So um, also tagging off that sort of question line, question line of questions about your popularity. Um, mm -hmm. You've obviously been asked every single question under the sun is, is there any burning subject? Is there any burning question you want to answer? Um, again, we're very reverent. We've, we're out there. So is there anything that you want to say to somebody or is there any question that you want to answer that hasn't been asked yet? Hmm. I'm really glad you asked about the homeless and income, to tell you the truth, because many, many people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Um. No, I, I think in some of the feedback, some of the posts online, I'm surprised at how angry folks are that we're not doing this for middle class people <laughs> or that we're not doing it in other states. We've gotten some really nasty uh, letters and emails about well, why aren't you doing it other places? Well, Faith, Faith, say more, more about that. What are they? What is their complaint? That there's middle class poor? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah no, what they're saying, and, and, and I understand that because this is where the country is right now, that that many people have been working uh, jobs for long periods of time and they're still renting because the cost of housing uh, continues to be inflated. Mm. But um, there's nothing to say you couldn't build your tiny house and be middle class. Um, uh, so I'm hoping by the end of the day, people will give that some more thought that, that you don't have to buy a 150 or 200 or $250,000 home to be happy, that you can be perfectly yeah. happy in a tiny home, even if it's in a different location or even if it's not part of an existing community that, that we really don't need all the crap we have. That if you think about the rooms in your houses you live in now, hmm. it's probably a couple. <laughs> and if you got rid of a lot of the stuff and you didn't have the mortgage for 30 years, you might enjoy life more. I mean, in that sense, you know, I'm hoping our little community has a lesson to teach. I know that the tiny home movement has been uh, proclaiming that for quite a while, but I don't know. We did a progressive tour through the houses before moving people in as a way to raise money. We had 500 people go through in three days, and almost every one of them said to me at the end, I could live in this. I could live in this. So they hadn't <laughs> even thought about it before. Right. It's so it was just obscene to them or foreign to them. or And yet people, you know, in different countries live in this sort of space now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's so interesting, Faith. This is a common refrain of many of the people we've interviewed on the show. That, and it's interesting, too, that the, the opposite refrain occurs in the comment sections of articles about this kind of mm. living. The, the people who are advocates for it are like, this is the greatest way to free yourself from the system that is oppressing so many people. And on the other side, the people who haven't realized that freedom are like, 
How could you possibly do that? Even people like that one celebrity, what's his name? What's his name? <laughs> um, um, he did the show. The <laughs> African-American guy who runs uh, Family Feud. What's his name? Harvey. Steve, Steve Harvey. Harvey. Right. There we go. You know, and it, it's just this, this common refrain that Americans, many Americans still have not gotten over, which is you have to have the big house. You have to stuff. have the car. You, you have, have to have, have stuff. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has someone sent the link to him yet? I'm going to take the action item to make sure the link to this video gets to his end. <laughs> that's inbox. a really good idea. Because <laughs> I think that's even his part of town. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. you is he know, in Detroit? I, I don't know. I, I thought he was in I, Chicago, I, but anyway. I'm just saying that, you yeah. know, this should be right <laughs> up his alley. Like it, it, the, the video or this plan almost like checkbox off of all of his sort of issues all with the, the complaints. Exactly, exactly. All of his issues. Well, mm. it's interesting that the middle class is, is coming to faith and saying, how come you guys aren't doing this for us? Because I think that the middle class is beginning, at least some segments of it are beginning to see how much of a hamster wheel it can be to own so much crap. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I Absolutely. Think, I think the people that are also <clears throat> commenting in a, in a more angry fashion have just found an outlet for their yeah. to mm-hmm. vent their frustration, mm-hmm. um, I, I I wouldn't even go so far as to say they definitely expect her, you know, like to to do their stuff in in other states. But um, I I want to I almost want to comment and say I hope that your response, Faith, to those types of comments is sort of like hashtag be the change. Sitting on your yeah. computer and complaining about what we're, yeah, what we're exactly. doing on our side of the town and being mad that we're not doing it on your side. Like, I, I call your congressman, you know, talk to your pastor, go to the city to council. Yeah. Or just make it happen. Um, yeah, just I make mean, it happen. look at what you're doing. I mean, yeah. just make things happen. Well, and the challenge is a lot of people don't know how. Right. Yeah. I mean, not everyone is, is a reverend faith. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I was saying, uh, it tell them to be the change, and then never mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I gotta work. Nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's too hard to walk and talk and be what we, you know, be what we want to be when we grow up. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing we had to fight for, <clears throat> really, uh, uh, just quickly, is to have every house different. That really? we dealt with architects and builders. Oh, it'd be so much cheaper. It'd be so much easier. And it probably would be, but... Um, if you just pay me to do my design 25 times exactly. rather than those other people, <laughs> exactly. yeah, don't pay them. Exactly, huh. Mark. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes easier and cheaper in the short run is a disaster in the long run. You got it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Well, Faith, it's been fantastic talking with you about your program. It sounds spectacular, and obviously a lot of the world ha- is agreeing with that a sentiment. Wish you the best success, although I don't think you need it. You've already got it. Um, if anyone wanted to reach out to you and find out more about your book or uh, about your project, how do they do that? So the book is at uh, ccpublishinghouse.org, so castcommunitypublishinghouse.org. Or the website is castcommunity.org. Awesome. And then uh, Tiny House. Oh, we need to uh, acknowledge our sound guy. You know how, you listeners notice how, how good this sounds right now? <laughs> Why is that, Mark? Thank you, Rick McNerney. Who's that? That's our sound guy from Brooklyn, New York. And how did we meet? Rick. <laughs> he was wearing a kilt in Colorado. Yeah. Chased he, us down. He kind of stood out. <laughs> he did. It was he like, almost, like literally, mm-hmm. like chased us through the <clears throat> field <throat> in, Col- in Colorado with a with a with a kilt on. Um, 
nice guy. I mean, we appreciate all of our listeners that reach out and offer us comments and feedback and, and let us know how we're doing. But we really, really appreciate Rick and offering to actually make us sound better. be the yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's my new thing. Maybe instead of namaste, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that didn't go over very well. <laughs> so Rick, thank you very much for what you're doing for the show. It's improved it, the quality tremendously. And then um, time, uh, folks who are listening to this sh- show, thank you, you too, because without you, we would not have a show. So we really appreciate that. And um, tune in next week when we'll be talking with someone we don't know who that is, I don't think, at this we, moment. It's, at this stage, it's kind of a wild card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad Faith's having a good time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, okay, to our defense, sometimes we know who it is, but we don't want to say because it's not like firm, firm, confirmed, True. firm, you know, True. like they're like, yeah, sure. I'd like to be on. Yeah, let's do it. And then you find out later, they're like, oh, that was today. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah, sometimes, sometimes we get ourselves a, a little far extended, mm-hmm. but uh, nonetheless, uh, we have a good time. So that's yeah, the important part. That's the important part. And we've got good stories. Anyway, check us out next week. Bye everybody. Hashtag be the change. I was going to say that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>